on the Lord's table. Actually, before we get started, I just wanted to commend the church family. You know, last last couple of weeks we have a new family coming, Tell and Sierra. Um, Sierra's came the last two weeks. Um, her husband, Tell, um, came this last week. They're out on a Thanksgiving trip this week. They were bummed because they wanted to be here. But um, she mentioned that, you know, they moved here about a year ago, but um, really didn't have a any friends, especially her husband, he kind of goes to work, comes home, and then um, she just mentioned that, you know, the church family has been such a blessing to them, and that she really enjoyed it, seeing all the different men talking to her husband and everything, and so see, first impressions matter, you know, um, reaching out to people and um, ministering to them, and so I just wanted to thank you um, for that. And um, Quinn, his family, do be walking in a little bit late. They um, usually, if you tell me you're walking late, I won't tell on you guys. But but they were they were hoping they were had friends coming, so they were all looking forward to your friends coming. So they were waiting for them, and then just last minute they um, told them go, oh, we're not going to be able to make it. And so they were waiting for them the whole time. But it's just a blessing to see seeing Christians excited to invite people, invite their family, invite their friends. And um, so what a blessing um, that is. Um, so talking about the Lord's table today, um, observing, we don't call it the Mass or the Eucharist or however they pronounce it. But um, the three biblical terms is the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, or communion. And so we see that the, uh, I got ahead of myself, okay? And we see that it was instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ himself at the conclusion of his last Passover supper with the apostles um, the night um, before his crucifixion. In Matthew 26, um, verse 26, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, And break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to him, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so here Jesus was telling them what he was about to do, that that he was going to die for them. That, that it was going to be for the remission of their sins. And so he was instituting communion, or what we call the, um, the Lord's table, that, um, to be a memorial of what Jesus was at that time then about to do. Um, the Lord's table is found in all four um, of the gospel accounts. And um, the ordinance was observed by the churches in the book of Acts. We see in Acts 2.42, Acts 27, um, where they broke bread. Now, there are some times where um, breaking of bread doesn't necessarily mean they're taking the Lord's table. It could just mean they're having a meal. So sometimes it's difficult to know when or what um, is, is when. But it appears on these accounts um, at least to me, that this was a time when they were taking the Lord's table. Um, we see there was instruction for its observance um, given in its epistle to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 11. And in there, he was really kind of confronting them about 
them taking it not really with the right spirit, not with the right attitude. They had like different class, um, like they were separated, like these people would have this. And then it was more of like a meal instead of really like the Lord's table. It was like some people would maybe have the good steak and someone else had the oatmeal. Um, um, not literally those, but, but that was kind of the idea. And there was envyings. There, um, there was division in the church. And in part, when we take communion, it's about the unity of us as a body, that, that we're to be in unity with one another, that, that there ought not to be schisms. I'll try not to get too ahead of myself. I have that coming up, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the, new is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye is off as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And so it is done is a um, memorial. And Norma, we. You don't, we're not starting the communion yet. You don't have to wait for me or anything. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just mentioning that just in case if you were waiting. Oh, okay. Okay. But he said, um, do this in remembrance of me. And so it was a memorial. Now, it doesn't, so the Bible doesn't tell us how often to do it. It doesn't say... Do it once a year, do it two times a year, do it 12 times a year. But it says, it's off as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so it says, when you do drink it, okay, do it in remembrance of me. And so now usually um, um, it varies, but usually, usually, there's some Baptist churches, they'll do it every month. But most of them do it once a year. And the reason they often do it once a year is because the Passover was done once a year. That it was an annual memorial, and that was the night Jesus um, instituted the Lord's table. And so oftentimes memorials were done once a year. Um, like even the holidays we celebrate today. Okay, we have Christmas once a year, not every month. Um, Fourth of July, we have that. Um, Independence Day once a year. And, um, but nowhere in the Bible does it say it has to be done once a year. And I have people in our congregation that tell us, you know what, sometimes I can't make it on that one day that we do it. And, and so could we do it a little bit more often? So I'm open to um, doing the Lord's table more often. No, nowhere does the Bible say only do it once a year. Um, we don't do it every week. Um, just I believe that sometimes it ends up being just kind of a vain repetition. It can be not with everybody, but with some, it kind of just becomes a routine and it could lose its specialness um, about it. Um, the Lord's table is a reflection. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 
He says, for he, um, for he have made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so Jesus, when um, he died for us, he died on our behalf. That he never sinned. He did not sin once. He did not have a child that sinned. Man, can you imagine how wonderful it was to marry? Have a child that never sinned. Can you imagine that? Having a child that never sinned? You know, I know sometimes, you know, like children get shocked when they, they hear their child tell a bold-faced lie for the first time. Now, they really did it when they were born, when they cry, when they don't need anything. But <laughs> they, just, they just want to be consoled or whatever. But Jesus became sin for us. Think about that, too. Imagine, man, what Jesus' brothers were like. Okay, man, like... Jesus never would get any spankings, and the brothers would always get spankings. Man, there'd probably be some jealousy, some envy there. Um, it is also a recognition. Okay, it's a reflection. It's a recognition. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. It's worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and of whom Paul said, I am chief. That he felt that he was as if he was the chief of all sinners. And really, that could, should be the mentality we all have. We ought not to look at other people and just pride ourselves in, you know what, we're not sinning like that person does. But to realize, wow, we've sinned against a holy, holy, holy God. And you recognize that Jesus came to save us. To recognize that we're the sinners that need saving. And so when the believer partakes of the bread and cup at the Lord's Supper... There is to be reflection upon what Christ did at Calvary when he gave his body and shed his blood to take away sin. It is also a recognition that what Christ did was a necessity because of our own sinfulness and unworthiness. Any questions so far? Anybody have any questions? All right. Okay, the aim of the Lord's table, continue going on, is also a celebration of God's love. In Romans 5, 8, the Bible teaches that, But God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God commended it. This verse in particular is not about the Lord's table, but it's a verse talking about the love of God, that God commended His love. That means He showed, He proved, He demonstrated. What other words should I use? Explain it, just in case no one understands. He showed, He proved that His love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, the Bible talks about even for a righteous man, many people wouldn't die in their place. But for an unrighteous man, an 
ungodly, a wicked man, an evil man. You know what? Most of us would not put our own life on the line for somebody that was wicked. See, someone that was trying to kill you, you're probably not going to intentionally lay your life down on, on their behalf. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus died for us. He showed his love toward us. Even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so when we take the Lord's table, it's to celebrate the love of Christ. His love for us, his, God's love for us, and giving His body, giving His blood um, for us. It is an anticipation of Christ's return. It's of, G, of Jesus returning. First uh, Corinthians eleven twenty six says, "For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come." So, as we remember his death, we're to do it until he returns. And so, there's this anticipation, this expectation that Jesus is going to come one day. And then Jesus told his disciples that in the, in the kingdom of heaven that he would um, partake it anew um, with them. It's symbolic of Christ's body and of his blood. The bread was the same as used in the Jewish Passover meal. And so that's how we know that the bread was unleavened um, bread. And so that's why we don't use um, bread with yeast, with leaven in it. Um, leavening is oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes in Scripture, a typology of impurity. Um, um, bread, bread made without such impurity is then a proper symbol of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ who was without any impurities. We see that the cup was um, freshly prepared grape juice, um, pure, and, and the color of crimson poured out was the fitting symbol of Jesus' blood. We see um, Jesus in Matthew 26, 29. And um, speaking of it, he called it the fruit of the vine. And so um, grape juice is the perfect symbol of it. Uh, a question um, was raised to Charles Spurgeon before about what kind of wine they use in, in, in their um, Lord's table goes, a question having been raised in the Christian commonwealth is to the wine used at the communion service at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Charles Spurgeon wrote to the editor as follows, uh, June 20 of 1887. He goes, Dear Sir, we use Frank Wright's unfermented wine at the tabernacle and have never used any other unfermented wine. I am given to understand that some of the so-called unfermented wine has in it a considerable amount of alcohol. 
but Mr. Rice is the pure juice of the grape. One person advertised his wine is used at the tabernacle, though we had never used it even on one occasion. So far as we are concerned, we use no wine but that produced by Messrs. Frank Wright, Mundy and Company. Yours truly, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And so there were people that would often want to um, try to claim things to fame, make a popular, mar- do some popular marketing by saying this is what they use at the tabernacle um, where Spurgeon preaches. And he says, no, you know what, we use the unfermented wine um, from, from this company. And because uh, and you know what, the, the alcohol is also a firm form of yeast of leavening. Um, of, of decay. And so that's why the pure juice of the grape would be a more proper fitting symbol um, to what the Lord's, uh, to the Lord's um, blood. It was instituted um, by the Lord um, with those he first placed in the church, the apostles. Um, 1 Corinthians 12.28 says, and God have set some in the church, um, first apostles, and it was in the beginning a church ordinance. And, and so it was done under the administration. The Lord's table resides in the church. And um, some have the view that, you know, what the Lord's table will just be done at home, just as a family. Um, and it's fine if you have that view or whatever, but I see scripturally, it is when we as families come together, that when we, we assemble together, and we'll go over some of that a, a little bit later. But that, um, in Scripture, the Lord's table was done as a church. Um, they, they partook of it together, not, not separately. Uh, we see that it was practiced by local New Testament churches. The Lord's table was conducted by the church. Let's go ahead and turn here. We didn't turn there earlier. So we'll go ahead and turn there now in Acts 2. In verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly receive his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And we'll go to verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so we see this was here the church in Jerusalem. As people were getting saved, being baptized, that they were together is one. Um, Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts 20, verse, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them 
ready to depart on the morrow and continue to speech until midnight. And so this may be them having a meal or it may be the Lord's table. There, um, it, it's hard to know for sure. But it's not, like in 1 Corinthians 11, um, we do find sometimes where they had meals together, but there are other times when they were doing the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians 11 where they made it more of a feast and then Paul confronts them and says, you know, you, got, you could eat meals at home. You know, when you come together, this is supposed to be to observe the Lord's table. But um, appears that this was part of the services of the church at Troas. It was practiced at the church at Corinth in chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. And then the mission of the, to the Lord's table, um, it must be someone that's a believer. Okay, now there's discussion about was um, Judas there when they took of the Lord's table? A couple of the Gospels appear like he was there. One of them looks like he was there for the Passover meal, but left before the Lord's table. I don't really know whether he partook or not. He shouldn't have until he was a genuine, until he would have been a genuine believer. Someone that's been washing the blood, that's been saved. And uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Okay, here you're metaphorically speaking of Jesus is that bread. That Jesus is the bread of life. Not that the communion bread is him, but that Jesus is spiritually, he's the bread of life. And Christians have partook of that bread that we've fed on Jesus. Not in the communion, but Jesus is becoming our Savior. 1 Corinthians 10.21 says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Okay, talking about, okay, you know what? Christians ought not to be taken of the devil's table so to speak, and you know what, unbelievers, really it makes no sense for them to take the Lord's table because why would they be doing something in remembrance of something they don't even believe in? And then a person should have been scripturally baptized. Um, it's the first ordinance established. It, in the Great Commission, Christ said first to preach the gospel, then baptize, then teach all things whatsoever he is commanded. Now, nowhere in Scripture does it specifically say that one has to get baptized before they take the Lord's table. Like, it's not commanded in that way. So it's not like we try to police or um, enforce that. That would be more of a recommendation based on how we see things laid out in Scripture. In um, Acts 2.41, we see, okay, first we see salvation, then we see baptism um, preceded the breaking um, of bread. And so this is where more of it becomes an issue is to willingly disobey the first command of identifying with Christ through baptism, but still participate in the Lord's table would be inconsistent with following the order of Christ's instructions. Now it's one thing where say someone got saved, and man, it happens to be today we're doing the Lord's table. There's not water ready um, or whatever. That could be different. But um, 
We see in Scripture it was the local church body. They participated in the Lord's table. It was to be a reflection of the unity of the body. 1 Corinthians 11.18 says, for, for, for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. And you know, Paul is saying here, I partly believe it, because he doesn't want to believe that, but he knows that church's reputation. So he does believe it, that there are divisions in that church. And he says, for there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. And so he confronts them that there's people causing division in the church, and there's people spreading heresies in the church, spreading false teachings. And so Paul is sitting and saying, this is not the right time or appropriate manner to take the Lord's table. Yeah, because we're to be a body, we're to be at unity, we're to be at peace with one, one another. When there is enmity, when there is strife, um, when there is anger towards each other, we're not in the right spirit to partake in the Lord's table. Um, and so, so this not, Solomon, don't, don't mess with that, okay? We don't want to make it too cold. <laughs> okay. Okay, he, says, first, he says, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together... Or I, I didn't finish reading this part either. He goes, when you come together, therefore in your one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So he was confronting them at how they were doing it was not the right way to do it. And then so he tells them later on, wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. That's why as we um, pass the place, we, 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 we wait. We wait for one another. We wait till everybody has their cup or their bread, and then we take in unity um, one another. Um, it, we see it was discipline um, by um, the local New Testament churches that the, um, the church at Corinth was commanded to exercise discipline over members of the church. This is even extended to, uh, to those allowed to partake of the Lord's table. In 1 Corinthians 5a, we see um, part, it, it talks about the Lord's table. It uses some metaphors, and it deals with church discipline. And therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so he's still in with someone that's living in open sin that people all knew about. He says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a rower, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them that also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without God judgeth, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And so here the Bible is demonstrating that if there is someone that is living in open sin, now it's not, yes, we're all sinners. We all sin. But if someone is living in open sin, and a particular person that this passage is writing about is someone that was living in 
fornication. Someone that was sleeping with his father's wife. And the church hadn't done anything about it. The church was kind of like, oh, whatever. It's their life. They could do what they want. And Paul specifically tells them not to eat with them. That they were not to take of the Lord's table because they had not yet came to repentance. A person ought to make self-examination prior to taking the Lord's table. Um, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And so there's be a time of self-examination um, of our lives. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. And so with the Lord's table, it was a serious thing that they were supposed to examine their life, examine their heart, and, 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 and make sure anything of their ought with one another to, um, to deal with it, to handle it. Um, to get things right before the Lord. Uh, Lord. It would make sense that one's self-examination would include one's present relationship with Christ. That Are you saved? Are you born again? How is your walk with Christ? Our relationship to other believers. Is it right? Our attitude about the supper, our manner in participation of it. And then there are also um, unscriptural views of the Lord's table. I'll just go through this pretty quickly. But um, transubstantiation, that's the Roman Catholic um, view. And they believe that the bread and wine are changed by priestly consecration into the very body and blood of Christ. That the bread and the juice actually turns into the body and blood of Jesus is um, their view. Um, but that's heresy, you know, to say that a man has that power to create um, something, to change the molecules um, like that. And it really makes it a sacrifice of Jesus every week. But Jesus died once for us. Not, he's not to be repetitively brought forth before the congregation dying over and over and over again. No, we do it It's a remembrance, a memorial of what Jesus did. And so you say a properly ordained priest must be present. Um, because Christ, our Redeemer, said that it was truly this from the Catholic Church, the Council of Trent. Because Christ, our Redeemer, said that it was truly his body that he was offering under the species of bread. It has always been the conviction of the Church of God. And this Holy Council now declares again that by the consecration of the bread and wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord, and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of his blood. 
This change the Holy Catholic Church has fittingly and properly called transubstantiation. And it, the Holy Synod teaches and openly and simply professes that in the nourishing sacrament of the Holy Eucharist after the consecration of the bread and the wine, our Lord Jesus Christ, true God and man, is truly, really, and substantially contained under the species of those sensible items. So thanks. If anyone says that the Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist, the only begotten Son of God, is not to be adored, even outwardly with the worship of Latria, um, and, and is not to be set before the people publicly to be adored, and that the adorers are idolaters, let him be anathema, which means to be a curse. And, and, and it is that by a physical partaking of the host, that the person is receiving saving grace from God. Okay, we do not teach that. You know what? Taking the bread, taking the juice does not save you. Okay, it's a picture of what Jesus did for us. But here they say that if we say it's idolatry to worship the wafer, as the Catholic Church holds up, we would call that idolatry. They're worshiping a piece of bread. But they say we should be a curse. For calling that idolatry. Um, the cup of wine, this isn't the same anymore. This has kind of been changed. It kind of varies, but it used to be the Catholic Church would not pass the wine out, but they would partake of the wine, the priests would, because they wouldn't want to spill the blood, um, so to speak, on the floor and it be trampled. But I don't believe most Catholic churches hold to that tradition anymore. I think they pass it all now. But transubstantiation, the turning it literally into the body and blood of Jesus, that would be a form of cannibalism if that was even so. And the Bible says we're not to eat um, blood. Clayton, can you go turn the heater back up to like 67? And so it's heresy, the, um, the Catholic Church, the way it teaches. And you know what? The Bible forbids idolatry. We're not to worship a piece of bread as if it is Jesus. Okay? Um, eating of blood was forbidden by the law. Um, Christ was crucified once, not continually. We just do this in remembrance of the one time he died. Consubstantiation, which is the Lutheran viewpoint, and they have the view that the body and blood are actually present in the elements. He denied the strict Catholic interpretation in this sense that he did not believe that the molecules are changing new flesh and blood, but that they remain bread and wine, but that the body and blood of Christ end up becoming present in, with, or under the bread and wine, which is almost the same thing. They're saying it didn't physically change, but they're saying it's in it, that it's coexisting um, together. And um, he used an analogy of an iron bar heated in fire. The substance of the iron does not cease to exist when the substance of fire in, um, penetrates it, heating it to a high temperature. But that wouldn't be a scriptural view either. Um, but they say that by partaking of the sacrament, one experiences a real benefit, forgiveness of sin, and confirmation of faith. But no juice or wine is going to be able to save anybody from their sin. 
It's only Jesus, what Jesus did for us, that saves us. Luther rejected other facets of the Catholic um, conception of the Mass, in particular the idea that the Mass was a sacrifice. And in the Reformed perspective, um, Christ is present in the Lord's Supper, but not physically or bodily. Rather, His presence in the sacrament is spiritual or dynamic in a special um, type of presence um, way that it has some kind of sealing effect of the covenant. Um, Louis Burkhoff suggests that the Lord's Supper seals the love of Christ to believers, giving them the assurance that all the promises of the covenant and the riches of the gospel are theirs by divine donation. Um, the um, Anabaptists, Okay, that was before um, Baptists were always called Baptists, before they're called Anabaptists, which means rebaptizer, because we baptize people after they put their faith in Jesus, not as infants. And the Anabaptists denied the concept of a physical or bodily presence so energetically as to leave little room for any type of special presence. They pointed out that Jesus is spiritually present everywhere. His presence in the elements is no more intense than his presence elsewhere. Henry Cook said, In themselves they, the bread and the cup, are merely symbolic, and the material substances of water um, and bread and wine um, remain what they are and undergo no mysterious transformation. The water is not holy because it is in the baptistry. And the bread and wine at the communion service remain bread and wine, even though they are used in the most sacred rite of the church. To Baptists, the Romanists, um, who speak of transubstantiation, and the Lutherans, who speak of consubstantiation, are quite mistaken in their whole approach to the question of sacraments. And we see simply in the Bible, okay? He took bread and gave thanks and break it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, that he was actually going to give his real body to be crucified. But then it's regarding to the elements. He said, This do in remembrance of me. Just some announcements, and um, we're going to go get the kit. We're going to get the kids as well um, after the announcements. Um, get the teachers over. Um, so we'll have a short break, five minute break, and then we'll come back and we'll partake of the Lord's table. But um, Wednesday we have our prayer meeting at seven o'clock. On Friday we have the Christmas ship um, in the Seattle area. We have a brochure on the table. If you'd like a copy of that. Let me know. Um, but we kind of need to know today, preferably, um, if you plan on, on going on the Christmas ship, got to be seventh grade or older. And um, so it's for teens and adults. And um, but a great time. Be, um, there'll be a meal on board as well and, uh, and preaching and just really be able to see a lot of um, different Christmas lights if anybody has them up yet around the um, sound or stuff. Um, next Sunday, um, following service, we're going to have a nursery orientation meeting. And uh, I just like different people that would like to help out, serve in the nursery, or even maybe you don't prefer to, but you know other moms need to be in for church service um, and um, be able to hear the Word of God. You're able to help out, participate. 
um, stay after church next week. We'll have a quick meeting, just kind of go over some protocols, um, procedures, um, policies. The um, Bible says we want to do all things decently and um, in order. And so we're going to be going over some of those things next week. And we need to borrow a, or rent a scissor lift to replace the light bulbs in the gym. Um, we have half of the gym almost all clean out. I think there's just a couple of pieces of furniture I need to move. We need to do some sweeping. Um, but we got half of it pretty much all cleared out. And, um, but the lights are burnt out. And so we need to get those replaced but we need a scissor of no ladder we have will go that high. And even if it did, it'd probably feel pretty shaky um, being up there on an A-frame that high. And um, also we need a gate. Um, I was thinking maybe this would be a good idea. A gate built on the bottom of the stairs. There's a set of stairs on the outside. But maybe have a gate that we could kind of lock on the other side of it where a little kid um, can't... Um, climb up there because we would not want a little child kind of going up the stairs falling down the stairs or climbing climbing over and so something to block the stairs if you're able to help out with that please um, let me know it just be real simple maybe we'll just if we don't have a gate we'll just put a piece of plywood up there um, for, for now but this will enable the gym to be a play area for children following church services um, especially during shared meals while eating. Um, you know, at some, oftentimes, you know, we have too much running around by the children. Um, to us parents, okay, we're used, maybe used to it, but for some of the older in our church, they don't have running kids all the time at church, and they don't like to be able to fellowship, have some peace, have some quiet, and um, they don't mind, you know, a little bit of noise here and there. But sometimes the kids, my kids included, uh, like they'll go banging on the piano. And usually I'm so focused on, say, it's like last time we had a visitor. And I'm able to tune all that stuff out. And, um, and um, sometimes dropping chairs or whatever. So we just want to have an avenue for the kids to get their energy out. You know, they've been sitting down in church for an hour um, or more. Um, they just ate food. They want to run around. Um, we don't have a safe place outside for them to go. So really want to get this gym going. And also just for the adults that want to play too, play some basketball. And um, just ordered three basketballs, a few dodgeball type balls. Probably won't do dodgeball in there, at least with the little kids. So don't want to have a little kid hit their head on a concrete because um, Clayton threw a ball at them in the head and they fell. Don't want anything like that happening. But um, got football as well. But that way it would be a fun area to play, and the adults can play um, basketball as well. But um, we can really put that to um, use. And um, we're going to have to do some rewiring of the lights because um, we're going to put LED lights up instead of fluorescent bulbs, which will save on energy costs um, as well. And then they won't have that flickering. And then we won't have the issue of replacing these lights and then a month down the road find out the ballasts are bad after we take the scissor lift back. Um, God bless you. Um, come back in about five minutes. Okay, go ahead and talk, fellowship.